Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Rizzi. I'm the host to this show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. Today, we have Brianna Jones. She's an Olympic hopeful in bobsled. Brianna used to be a track star. Brianna then became an Olympic bobsledder. It's, it's pretty impressive. As I said, she is a hopeful. Um, almost made the team this year, 2018. Gunning for 2022, so very excited for her there. But Brianna's very cool. She has a lot of good stuff. Great conversation, great work. She's an incredible person. So please, I hope you guys enjoy the show. All right. Today, Brianna Jones, USA bobsledding, born the internet says July 2nd, but it's actually July 1st. <laughs> North Carolina, but it's actually Oklahoma. Uh, but what we do know is Brianna was a track star at UNC at Charlotte. She went to the 2012 NCAA championship. Um, after being unable to make the 2016 Olympic trials, she then went switched over to bobsled. She won the rookie push championship. She won the national push championship and then made it to U.S. trials all within like three months after deciding to take on the sport, which I think is pretty cool. Um, 2016-17, she was the Rookie of the Year. She won a Gold Cup in St. Moritz. Um, where is that? Because it sounds like a really pretty place. It's in Switzerland. Yes, of course. It's a very pretty place. Uh, would you look at that? She also won a gold at the North American Cup in Park City and is currently a 2022 hopeful. Brianna, thanks for hanging out with us today. No, absolutely. I'm excited to talk about life of a bobsledder. Love it. Yes. Life of a bobsledder. I don't hear that story. I mean, we all have seen cool run-ins, right? Like that's an easy one, but I feel like it's not the most realistic depiction. So um, let's start at the beginning. You told me you've lived in what, six different states. So I guess if you don't mind taking us from, you know what, let's skip the first day. Let's just go straight to July 2nd. Tell us about July 2nd and on. How's that sound? <laughs> okay. So like you said, I was born in Oklahoma. Um, when I was about two years old, I moved to Kentucky and stayed there for probably another two years. And then I started kindergarten in Texas, which was where I spent most of my childhood, I'd say. I was there from um, four turning five up until starting high school in Texas, which is when I started running track and just kind of started becoming like into myself and things that I liked. And in turning 14, I moved to Louisiana. And I started high school in Louisiana. I was only there for about a year though. And then um, I moved to South Carolina. My parents split and my brother stayed with my dad in Louisiana. And I went with my mom to South Carolina because I have an aunt that lives in South Carolina. And I finished high school in Somerville, South Carolina, which is on the outskirts of Charleston. And then I was recruited to go to UNC Charlotte for jumps initially, just long jump, triple jump, high jump. I spent pretty much my entire childhood, um, I wouldn't even say childhood, I'd say really my prepubescent years, running track that's the only sport i've actually ever done really um yeah so i thought that i was going to be a volleyball player but when i got to the first day of volleyball practice and i was 12 years old i didn't have my physical i didn't know that was a thing i didn't know you had to have a physical to like try out for sports and i missed the first day of tryouts and they said oh well you can't make the team if you miss a day of tryouts because it's a week-long process and 
So I cried and I was like, what else can I do in life? I don't know what else to do. Like I, I put all my eggs in one basket. I was going the life man of a 12 year old. How did you do yeah. it? Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I just, I, I, I didn't like basketball and honestly any ball sport, I just wasn't that familiar with. And not that I couldn't have learned it at 12, but it was just something that didn't really catch my eye. Mm-hmm. So I, Something told me, I mean, hey, you can try running track. Like, I believed I was fast. Whether or not I was really fast, you never know because mm-hmm. you're just up against the kids in your neighborhood when you're running. So um, went out for the track team in, in middle school and came to find that I was decently fast and I was pretty natural at jumping, and which is hard to get kids um, to be coordinated to do at first. So the fact that I could execute a triple jump when I was 12 was like really impressive to my coaches. So they're like, all right, you're triple jumping, you're long jumping, you're high jumping. And literally those are the only events I ever did for the rest of my um, track and field career other than running four by one relay and the 100. But my bread and butter was definitely my jumps. and. Yep, and literally the only thing I've ever done. Would you look at that? Well, clearly you you did something right. So let's start out with that. <laughs> I think that is pretty interesting. Um, and and just kind of connecting the dots and speaking with other bobsledders, I I understand the need to be fast and the need to have power in your lower half, which usually that comes with jumping, right? So I, I'm starting yeah. to connect some of the dots, but I want you to tell the story. I don't want to give anything away yet. Um, <laughs> so one question from from the beginning part of your story. What was the reason that you guys moved around so much? Because it sounds like your parents didn't split, unfortunately. I mean, it, it happened, what, 50% this time this time of uh, uh, in the country. But they didn't split until, like, the fifth move. I mean, what was the reason you guys were moving around so much at a young age? Yeah, it was actually because um, my dad um, had a government job. Mm. So um, mm-hmm. he worked for the prison system. So we were basically just hopping around as there is a need. And um, in the South, there's a plethora of prisons. So Mm. he was, um, so we would basically just move on the go. And since we were so young, I guess it wasn't as big of a deal Mm -hmm. at that time because you can just, you know, you, you don't really have too many lasting connections when you're like five. So you just kind of pick up, go. Um, it is kind of hard to pinpoint where home is now that I'm older and people ask me where I'm from and I don't really, I can't answer that in one sentence. I have to give them a spiel of, okay, do you want to know mm-hmm. where I was born? Do you want to know where I grew up? Do you want to know where I went to school? Do you want to know why I, where I finished school or do you want to know where I live now? <laughs> it might just be easier instead of asking those questions just to just to dive right into the story. And if someone doesn't want to listen, they'll, you'll see them tune out and you can kind of just speed it up from there. But <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. And thank you for getting into it. I was definitely curious about that part and, and how you got into track. That is pretty interesting as well. I mean, I'm sorry that 12 year old Brianna, she couldn't play volleyball. I'm so sad, but clearly it kind of worked out. So not, not too angry yeah. about it. So you go to UNC Charlotte. Um, you, are pretty good there. As I said, in 2012, you went to the NCAA championships. What was that time like and gearing up for what you thought was then going to be trying out for the, the, um, the summer games? So going to UNC Charlotte really, um, 
was one of the best decisions I ever made. Um, I know a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to stumble upon the college that was meant for them on the first time and people switch around and um, are unsure, transfer a lot. And, but um, going to UNC Charlotte, my coach really believed in developing me. And that was the biggest thing because I was not, um, I was fast enough when I was coming out of high school but I was definitely not um, sprinter speed, could keep up in collegiate sprints, just, you know, based off my just natural raw talent, I definitely had to get some muscle put on me and get some, you know, some training, some, some real sprint technique training, learn how to come out of blocks, things like that. Um, I tell people all the time, like I, I mean, I came into college as a stick. I was 120 pounds when I started college. And I left college at 150 pounds. I put on 30 pounds of just muscle when I was in college. And my coach, like I said, really took me from this just raw talent, not a whole lot of technique, and turned me into one of the most powerful athletes on the team. And something that I never knew that I had. But I had the, the drive to get better and that's really all you need. As long as you want, you're just hungry to be at the top. Like I, I just was never content with where I was in my maxes with my squat or my power clean. I always wanted more because I knew the stronger I got, the farther I jump. And with my, um, my sprints and training, like I was always like, okay, I hit this mark. This is a personal best. But once I get here, that's when magic is going to happen. Like I, I was always just striving for the little, little goals in my training, which is what I think made the biggest difference coming out of college, moving into bobsled, because um, I had that strength and power um, aspect that my coach built for me. But then I also had that drive to work on the little things to make me better. And that's a big part of it because there's a lot of components to what makes somebody a great athlete, whatever they're doing, but there's a lot of people coming for your spot. So what separates you from the other person is going to be some of those, some of those little things. Mm -hmm. No, a hundred percent. I mean, at, at the level that you're at now, I mean, everybody clearly has the ability, right? Like it's not mm -hmm. every, everybody is up to the 99%. It, it's who can go that extra 1% to really put themselves over the top. And I've heard that that comes from nutrition, recovery, the little things, um, really focusing on the smallest little minute things because we're literally talking about hundredths or thousandths of a second that comes into play. You know, those, those are the little things that'll take you over the top. So I think that that is very cool. And, and thank you to your coach for being able to do that and getting the most out of you. I think that that is absolutely fantastic. So I did read that in, in you were trying out for the 2016 Olympic games or, or that was one of your goals. What, what happened there? Was it, was it just the, the competition was so high? Was it something, was it an injury? What exactly happened so that um, you were then given the opportunity to switch over to the colder winter side of the game? <laughs> yeah. So leading up to 2016, um, I was, I graduated in 2014 and I actually moved to Spain after I graduated college. I guess that's a little detail I, I missed in all the places I've lived. Yeah, absolutely, I, I would say. 
<laughs> I moved to Spain to teach English for a school year. Um, my, my, my major was anthropology, my minor was Spanish, and I wanted to be more comfortable speaking Spanish and not thinking about what I'm supposed to say. And so I just wanted to move to another country and really get comfortable conversationally in Spanish. And, but while I was there, I was still training. However, training in a completely new environment and also working in a new environment, living in a new country was a lot of stress. And it was actually um, affecting my training quite a bit. And I wasn't where I wanted to be. So I made a decision to not come back for the next school year and actually come back to the States and train. And everybody thought I was crazy. Like, this is the time where you travel the world and do all these, you know, great things as a young person. Like, don't leave Europe. Like, and I was like, I, I have to do this. Like, I, I, something in me doesn't feel right by not completing this. So I have to, I have to do this. So I went back to Charlotte to train with my track and field coach. And at that point, um, I was actually trying to train for the heptathlon because um, I am a jumper and I also can sprint. So I've got half of the heptathlon covered and I'm decently strong. So learning the throwing techniques was difficult, but um, it was something I could do. And then you throw in that 800 meter run. That was definitely my worst event, but <laughs> it was um, something that I knew that I could be good at. And I thought it was my best chances at the games between that and just probably training for long jump. So um, I was training and actually working three jobs at that point. I was a security guard at night. I was working 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And then I would take maybe a three, two, three hour nap and then go train. And then I'd go to my second job um, at Cato Corporation, which is a clothing, a women's clothing company. And I was actually a fit model. So I was like a live mannequin. Nice. I would, yeah, it's a pretty cool job. You get to try on clothes all day. So Hey, it could be worse <laughs> things, right? That could be worse things. Exactly. So definitely one of the best jobs I've ever had. And that was my second job. And in route to going back to my security job, I was actually a dog sitter. So I would stop at houses that I was um, assigned to, to walk the dogs, feed the dogs, give the dogs their medicines, things like that. And then I'd go right back into my security job. So I was literally sleeping probably three hours a day. And I'd be lucky if I had a day off in the week. It, from both of the jobs at the same time. I was always at least working one job, so I really had no off days. And training was going well in a sense. Like I was getting faster and stronger because I was also just getting older and a little more experienced, but it still wasn't where I needed to be. I wasn't training to my maximum potential because obviously three hours of sleep a day and um, being on your feet all day like that working isn't very good for your for elite training so um i don't feel like i got the full experience of training 
at the highest level I could have to have made the 2016 games. And as I was approaching that time and I was just, I just saw time slowly slipping away and we're almost at um, Olympic trials and I haven't met my mark in order to go to trials. So I kind of told myself at that point, like I'm, if it doesn't happen this year, then I'm just going to really retire as an athlete and find maybe a nine to five and uh, don't. no, <laughs> don't do it. I know exactly. Oh, it's like, don't I, do it. I really didn't want to do it, but realistically, like I just couldn't support myself doing what I was doing and something had to give. So my coach, Robert Olson at UNC Charlotte, um, little known fact, or maybe it's a well-known fact now, but um, he was actually an Olympic bobsledder in the 90s. And he's a, um, he's still friends with the coaches now that are coaching at USA Bobsled and Skeleton. He was teammates with them at the time. And now, of course, they're in a coaching position. And one of the coaches, Mike Dion, reached out to my coach and said, hey, do you have any athletes that um, might be interested in, in bobsledding? And he's, uh, Mike Dion is head of development and recruitment. So every year, USA Bobsled hosts combines and tries to get new talent out, stuff like that. So just reaching out to an old contact, he just happened to reach out to my coach after so many years that happened to be the year and asked him if he had any athletes. He was actually really inferring more about um, male athletes more than females. He was inquiring about male athletes. And my coach was like, well, actually, I do have someone to be really good at it. And um, her name is Brianna Jones. She's, I don't know if you're looking for some more females to come out. And my coach, Mike Dion, was like, sure, tell her to come to a combine and we'll see what she's got, basically. And then my coach asked me um, if I was willing to put the cold weather aside to do such a thing because I, I hate cold weather and I was notorious for hating cold weather in college on the team. I, when whoever was roommates with me had to suffer and be in the heat all the time because I just absolutely have no tolerance for the cold. And my coach was like, well, I mean, if, you're willing. I think you'd be really good at it. I think you should try it. And I, I really had nothing to lose at that point because I knew where I stood with the 2016 games and Olympic trials. And I said, okay, I said 2016 was going to be my turning point year of whether it's going to happen for me athletically or I was going to work a full-time job and just integrate into this work life fully. So I was fully invested to see what bobsled was all about. And I did my combine, scored high enough to be able to come back to the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid. And we do some more testing like squat and power clean. And that gives you your, your full combine score with the, the sprints that you do. You do, um, you do a sprint, a standing long jump, and an underhand shot toss along with your squat and power clean. That all gives you a score. And after that, 
I was invited to rookie push championships. So everyone who has a high enough score comes to the rookie push competition. They teach you the basics of pushing a sled on a practice push track made of a regular track surface. And they give you about a week. And then at the end of the week, you just have a competition and see what happens. Because you never really know. Um, there are some people who are really fast and come bobsled and aren't that great behind pushing a sled. So you would actually be really surprised that um, some really talented athletes have come to the program running monstrous times in the 100. Some, some of the best athletes to ever do it have come and tried to do bobsled. And something about pushing a sled isn't necessarily equally as fast. And I don't, I don't know why that is, but um, it doesn't always translate. So it is something that they have to kind of test to see like, okay, can this person, you know, push a sled? And I ended up winning, was invited back to national push championships, which, which was against all the veterans. And that was really nerve wracking because at that point it was like, okay, if I'm going to make this team, that means I have to beat somebody who's already on the team. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that doesn't, that doesn't happen very often. It's normally, normally when rookies make the team, it's because there's a, a down year where most of the veterans have retired and there's the doors kind of wide open in a sense. But this was the year before Olympic trials. So the team was pretty stacked. So, um, I was kind of told going into it, do your best, but don't put your expectations too high. And I took that and said, I don't know if you know who you're talking to. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I did not come all this way to, yeah, to right? beat. And I don't, I don't know if that's anyone's goal when they're coming to a competition. But um, I... Of course, impress some, impress some people at um, National Push Championships and was then invited for team trials. So it's kind of like team trials works kind of like prom, high school prom. So if you push really fast at push championships, the bobsled pilots will reach out to you and say, hey, would you like to race with me? And <laughs> would you like to have this dance, please? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, would you like to race with me? And then you say, yes, I would love to race with you. And, or you say, you know, or you might be already racing with somebody else and say, well, actually such and such has already asked me. So to the prom. Exactly. To prom. So <laughs> there's some heartbreak involved with it in a little, in a sense, because some people can't race with everyone. Of course, there's only a few selection races and um, you can only race with so many people. So there are some people that may ask you, and there's some people that you might be waiting to ask you, some higher ranked pilots that don't ask you, and then you're like, oh, I wish such and such would have asked me to race with them. It's, it's, it's a very interesting process. All the way back to high school, man. Like, what, yeah. six, seven years later, would you look at that? We're back. We're still doing it. Exactly. Still doing it. Still doing it. And at team trials, 
is um, team trials is basically um, you competing against the rest of the US team on the actual bobsled track. So it's just like a real race only with you and your team, of course. And those numbers of your performance, of your start times, and where you place in the mix of the rest of the bobsled team factor into you making the national team. So all of those things that I, I listed before, they're all different components that get you selected for the national team. So it's not just one thing. A lot of people think like, oh, like you won this, like you're going to be on the Olympic team or you're going to be on the national team. And it's not like that. It's actually a very long process in a sense, even though it's, it's a span of a, some months, it's literally every month there's a different step that you have to take to get closer to that goal of making the team. And then of course it goes with a whole summer or a whole year of training. It's not like you wait until three months out of making the national team of, to start training. It's, it's definitely a long haul. It's not a, a short term. Um, it's not something mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. happens just in the, in a small amount of time, I guess I'm trying to say. But it kind of did. <laughs> it kind of did. Right? I guess no, I, like, I, I understand what you're saying. You're trying to be super humble. <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, it was like a three-month time period, right? It was a three-month time period. So that's, I not very, that's not long-term. <laughs> no, come on, Brianna. Let's be honest about this, at least. I understand trying to be humble. But let's be honest. <laughs> it was three months from the first time yeah. you tried to making the, you know, U.S. team. It was three months, correct? Yes. Okay. So no, 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 no explanation needed. No explanation needed. You're perfect. Don't worry. And we appreciate it. And that's all I wanted to say on that. No, um, just a couple questions on, on really all this stuff. When, you know, obviously, as you said, you know, so one thing I love is with a lot of these stories, there's always this random thing that happens and it just happens to work out. And yours, I think it's really cool. It was your coach randomly got contacted years since he's been contacted. And oh, by the way, yo, I'm looking for male athletes, but oh, well, I have this female athlete that would be pretty good at it. Oh, would you look at that? So I just always love how there's just these random little things. And I spoke with Lauren Williams a while ago, and she always said, when opportunity knocks, man, just open the door. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? And, and you know, it happened to you, and it's happened to pretty much every athlete that I've been able to talk to. And I think that that is absolutely incredible. And, and it worked. And again, three months. I know it's a long-term thing, but not for everybody. Some people are a little bit better than others. Um, so it took you three months to, you know, start crushing it. So did you have any reservations about switching over? I mean, you obviously were interested in being an athlete. You're obviously re interested in representing your country. Um, you weren't too interested in the cold weather, which I completely respect. I mean, it's, it's 60 <laughs> degrees and I'm already wearing a sweatshirt here, but you know, so what, what was that like in kind of I don't want to say giving up on track, but really just being able to shift your mentality from, okay, maybe I don't do track now. Now I do bobsled and that's fine. Like how, how long did it take you to kind of get over that aspect of it? You know, I'd say it took about a year. It took a full bobsled season, um, maybe a season and a half for me to come to terms that track and field will always be my, my first love, mm -hmm. but it back to the prom. Look at us. We're back at the prom again. Look at that. <laughs> back at the prom. <laughs> Track and field may have been my first love, but it may not have been my calling in life. It 
may have just been that stepping stone to get to what I was actually meant to do. And it was because when people ask you, oh, are you still running track? Do you still run track? It was actually heartbreaking to tell people no. It's like, no, I actually don't run track anymore. Like it, it's something that you spend 13 years of your life doing and then all of a sudden do something else and have to learn a completely new sport. Um, it was it was pretty challenging because, like I said, in, in track and field, I've done it my almost my whole life, half of my life more than half of my life really. And going into something that I've never done before, I had to learn everything. And that's not something I've had to do in a really long time, especially not as an adult. A lot of people don't learn a new sport as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, And everybody around me was a veteran and everybody around me knew what was going on, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be that lost, you know, person, deer in headlights, not knowing what's going on. So it was, it was a very frustrating learning process at first because I was trying to keep up with everyone. And, and I was of course asking questions so that I wasn't doing the wrong things. Cause um, there are a lot of things with Bob said that people don't know that we have to do like sled work. There's a lot of actually sled um, technical work that we have to do. We have tools and equipment that we change out. We get our hands dirty with the, with this sport. And I don't know anything about tools. I didn't have to ever change a tire on my car, none of that. So having to learn things like that and making mistakes on someone's sled and, and getting scolded about it, I, I, was, I felt like I was like back in school again. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and, and like I said, I was trying to make a, make a good impression and I wanted to be um, great at what I was doing but it was still frustrating because I, I was in cold weather forced to learn. Yeah. <laughs> I was That's in, the first thing you brought. I was in yeah. cold weather. Ugh, I, was, I was in freezing cold temperatures, like trying to figure out um, what bolts go where and how to tighten them. And, and it's, it's a long learning process to learn how the sled mechanics work. And, learning the tools and the terminology and moving the sleds. We have to get our sleds from the garage onto the sled trucks to the top of the track and in the opposite order, when we're done, we have to take them from the track. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of work that goes into um, moving sleds and sled work. And I had to learn all of that along with just learning how to, to run comfortably behind a sled and just getting comfortable with positioning in the bobsled. Cause it was, I was just going off of pure ability. I really mm-hmm. had no former techniques. So once again, something that I had been doing my whole life, like track and field where I felt like I was finally starting to get, and then I stopped and moved on to something else. And I was from, I was starting at zero again. So it was a really hard transition. I wouldn't quite say zero. <laughs> I understand where you're coming from, but I wouldn't quite say zero with just pure raw talent um, from what you learned from track and field, you were able to utilize that and, and make it onto the team. And then from there, I mean, that's what I hear coaches love the most. If you have raw talent and I can teach you all the right things to do clearly, uh, you know, hopefully one of these days it'll work. So I think that that is phenomenal. So if you don't mind getting into this past Olympics games, 2018, 
I mean, obviously, I'm assuming that was a goal of yours. Getting on the team in 2016, correct? Um, winning Rookie of the Year in the 2016-2017 season, having a couple, uh, you know, top of the podium finishes. With 2018, was it what exactly happened, and and was it a realistic goal? Um, obviously, it was a goal, but how realistic was the opportunity to make the, the 2018 games? So, going into the 2018 season, myself and um, four other break women in my position were all very, very close and fighting for what we thought was going to be three spots at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And in order to qualify three sleds for the Olympic Games, you have to, your third sled has to be ranked higher or in, it has to be ranked higher than um, the third sleds of the other nations. So, and only two countries, only two nations get three sleds at the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. So essentially it was the United States, Canada, and Germany battling for three sleds at the Olympic Games. And who was it going to be? It took all the way into the very last race before selections, before we knew if we were going to qualify at three sleds or not. It was um, literally down to the wire, the very last run, um, our pilot, our third sled pilot had to beat Canada in order to qualify the third sled. And if Canada beat her, then Canada was going to have the third sled and Germany had already qualified themselves at that point. So it came down to the last run. And unfortunately, um, our third sled did not qualify just by the smallest margin. And all of a sudden, those three spots at the Olympic Games was shrunk to just two. So now you only have two opportunities for two brakemen to race. And there's five people in the running for those two spots. And me being a novice athlete coming into the Games um, definitely didn't work to my favor. Um, I did pick it up fast and I was definitely beating people, of course, to get to where I was, where I was at, but they knew that I had a lot more potential and a lot more room to grow, but they did not think that that was my year. So I was chosen as an alternate at the Olympic games. I was actually the, the only alternate at the Olympic games for the women. Um, Mm -hmm. because if you qualify two sleds, you get one alternate. If you qualify three sleds, then you have two alternates. So since we only had, um, two sleds, I was the only alternate. Um, 2018 Olympic games was very bittersweet because I was very close being the alternate and one of three brakemen at the Olympic games, had there been a third sled, Mm -hmm. I would have been racing. You know, it was just that close. It was that close. And the fact that I was still going to the Olympics, but didn't have the full experience of being a a racing athlete was really heartbreaking because I just, I felt like I, 
I just kind of halfway made it in a sense. Like mm-hmm. I'm there, but I didn't really accomplish my personal goal, even though everybody at home was so proud of me and so, so happy that I accomplished something so huge in such a small amount of time. And I was going to the Olympics. I was going to witness something that seemed so far away at some point. And I was there. I was literally there. But at the same time, I do not get the Olympian title. Mm-hmm. As an alternate, I do not get to claim myself as an Olympian. And even though that might seem like something so, so small, it meant, it just meant a lot to me, like just to be able to say that I was an Olympian. Mm-hmm. And because other nations do consider their alternate athletes Olympians and they have some of the same um, privileges as the other athletes. Tell us about what kind of not making the 2018 games is going to do for you for the 2022 games. Cause obviously you're still there. You're still hopeful. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're rocking and rolling. Maybe next time we'll get three slits, but hopefully you'll be the first one anyway. So it doesn't matter. But so (laughs) how much extra chip on your shoulder is there now knowing that you kind of would have been in the games you would have been an olympian if mm-hmm. you know one one extra thing broke your way so like what does that mean moving forward for 2022 well i definitely don't want to be in that position again exactly so be number one how's that sound just just <laughs> yes, be number so one that's easy right be number one that's that's easy right <laughs> be number one um, I'm actually training to be a bobsled pilot at the moment, so I'm learning how to drive, and that is going to put me in a different position going into the next games, because as a brakeman, you're very replaceable, because as you know, I came into the sport with just a couple months, and I took someone's spot, so that can happen, but as a pilot, it takes some years of, of practice and, and training, and you can't just take somebody who's at the top of the world, one of the best drivers in the world, somebody who just learned how to drive, can't come take their spot. It almost never happens. So it's a, it's a skill and it takes time and it's a lot more money investment also because as you probably know, um, we are a nonprofit and everything that we receive is through donations and endorsements which we don't have a lot so a lot of it is on the athletes so that's another investment but to me another four years another games to put myself in the best position possible to achieve my biggest dream it'll all be worth it love it Absolutely love it. We are crossing our fingers for you, Brianna. I promise you that. And then, so, so unfortunately, as you brought up, you know, the, the, the dollar, you don't, you don't compete in bobsled to be a millionaire, right? We kind of know that one. (laughs) Um, You really are an Olympic athlete if you're trying to be a millionaire. So what is your post-career career? career? I mean, you'll be doing this thing for a little while now. You've Uh kind of been, been one of the lucky ones. I, uh, I mean, not to say that you, you did anything, um, unlucky but you know you put yourself in great positions and you were you you created your own luck and I truly believe uh living by that is the best and so you kind of didn't have to have that nine to five for a couple extra years which I think is awesome so let's start that you know but what is your post-career career career and what do you think I mean anthropology and Spanish kind of curious how 
how we're going to use that one moving <laughs> forward. But tell us a little bit about kind of what you're, what you're thinking about life after. Well, moving forward, I would actually like to get into coaching. And I think I'm going to start off with track and field, getting um, USATF certified and really helping athletes just like myself when I was younger tap into that talent that they probably don't know that's there or somebody's not taking the time to really develop what they already have. I would, I would love to give somebody the experience that my coach gave me because he did take a gamble on me. I was not number one in the nation ranked when I came into college and um, he definitely spent a lot of money on me being an out-of-state athlete and I proved that I was worth it and I would love to be that for somebody else with the knowledge that I know now to help somebody else achieve their dream. I love it. Youth is wasted on the young, right? I've always, always loved that <laughs> quote. That's a good one. Well, Brianna, thank you so much. One more time. Brianna Jones, USA bobsledding, 2018 alternate. She went to the yes. games. I still think that's incredible. So thank you so much for what you do on a daily basis and, and sacrificing and, and everything that you guys all do over there. Um, you know, we sincerely do appreciate it. So thank you so much. 2022 hopeful crossing our fingers. It's almost expected at this point. You got four more years, but I mean, <laughs> if I don't see you on TV in four years, I'll be a little disappointed and I know you don't want me to be disappointed. So I'm sure you'll make it. I'm not too worried about that. So <laughs> thank you so much, Brianna. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Michael. I had so much fun talking about it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Brianna Jones. As I said, absolutely phenomenal. Very cool person. Really got a lot out of her. Had a lot of fun talking. Just her whole story in general, I think, is really cool. Her outlook on everything is also really incredible. So really glad I got the opportunity to speak with her. So thank you, thank you. If you don't mind, follow her across all her socials. Everything is in the show notes. Please rate, review, comment, subscribe, share whatever. I don't know. Just get this out there a little bit more because I believe that the stories are incredible. I think I'm pretty okay at what I do, which is nice, I think. And really just want the, our Olympic athletes really just to get more recognition and, and credit for really all the things that they do. So thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate it. And I look forward to um, having you email me at michael at ourathletes.us and also following us on Instagram at ourathletes.us. So now I've finished. Have a great day. <laughs>